Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Dave Selly Selinger. Dave, are you ready to do this? I am 50% ready, and we'll get the rest of the way there in real time. I like it. Dave is the founder and CEO of Deep Sentinel. They are the only security system that delivers the experience of a personal guard outside of every customer's property. He's also, or he was, early Amazon employee working directly with Jeff Bezos. He co-invented Amazon Advertising and co-founded and ran Redfin. Dave, we're excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Sure. Happy to be here. Um, thank you for, for having me. So I am, well, I mean, let's, let's just do it. Right. I'm, I'm a, a married mixed male. I'm 44 years old. I live in Pleasanton, California. I've got uh, a wonderful wife of, I think about 15 years. We've got four dogs and two kids, a rabbit, a fish that we all hate and uh, are generally pretty happy as a family together. We've all got our little quirks. And like you said, I, I run a number of different technology companies and in the last number of years, probably about eight years, my wife and I have spent a lot of time talking about the concept of safety. And I don't just mean, you know, in the relationship of, of Deep Sentinel and, and, and physical security in our homes. She, when I met her, was engaged in the foster care system hmm. with two young boys. They were their twin brothers. And our observations about the way that they view the world have been a huge uh, binding point for us in our relationship that we talk about all the time in terms of just the the fact that they, from the age of two and the moment of sentience really, have never had a sensation of safety at any point in their lives and how much that frames how they eat, how they talk to strangers, how they interact with people at the bus station. and. It is, it's just been something that's been life changing for me when I met her and something that's become a, a huge passion for us and our family together. Got it. Well, you sort of took us on a roller coaster there, Dave. You're like, <laughs> you, 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 you brought the funny and the funny intrigue and then brought it all the way to the most serious thing that I've heard in a very long time. So let's start with funny. Okay, fair enough. What's, what's the fish's problem? What's the fish's problem? You said you said that oh, everybody that hate. hates the fish. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the fish's name is Sandy. We don't talk about Sandy. Uh, we try not to as much as possible. We used to have three fishes, oh. and the other two were these amazing, really cheap, the twenty-five cent gold fishes that you get. One of them we got at the fair, and one of them I I, I, I crap you not. We got as a party favor at our friend's birthday. Can you imagine going to a birthday party and you're like, I'm going to get cake. I'm going to get this kid a present and then we're done back home. And we got a freaking goldfish, which lived for nine years. Oh. Yeah. So it's the, it's the gift that kept on giving. But anyway, we liked our goldfish, whatever. But we had this sucker fish in the aquarium. And as soon as the goldfish showed their first sign of weakness, the next day we would find them on their side half eaten. Hmm. And so Sandy is, I, I don't know if that's considered a cannibal because they're both fishes or if it's not a cannibal because they're different species, but Sandy's pretty brutal. 
Um, and Sandy just hides under this rock, not fun, doesn't entertain us, doesn't interact with us. The goldfish, amazing, seven years old, big, swims around, waves to you when you walk by, and Sandy just eats them. And so now we're left with just Sandy, and that's all we've got left. And so it's it's a horrible family joke, but we'll we'll you know we'll be sitting watching TV, and you can hear the aquarium, and it's kind of loud, and it's annoying. And one of the kids will just say should we just kill Sandy today? And, you know, it's a horrible thing, right? It's a living being. You can tell like that's meaningful to me as a family, uh, but we're kind of serious about it because we all kind of hate Sandy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if cannibal is a term, but certainly murderer. Is, yeah. It's is, certainly is, is a murderer. Term. I mean, literally like the fish will just be like a little bit slow one day and next day it's dead. Boom. And, and the whole like left side of it will just be yeah. macerated and gone. It's- Sandy culling the culling the herd. All yeah. right. Well, I'm gonna leave that up to you. You're you're in charge. Uh, but I mean, I am a justice is one of my core virtues. So I would. I would. You know what? We never thought about applying virtues to this conversation. Yeah. It was really just about it's a living thing. But if we look at it from a justice perspective, you know what? We're gonna have we have a family meeting on Sundays sometimes, and I think we can talk about justice. That'll be our yep. that'll be our topic. There you go. So I was talking to this guy and he said we should kill Sandy. <laughs> All right. So um, <laughs> murder, yeah, murder by kind of general opinion, right? It's, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, we somebody. I guess that is decisions. how law has worked for a long, long time. Right. right? So you get up to the town square and if one person was chanting, hang them loud enough, everyone would be like, okay, hang them. And then sure enough, right? Monty Python rules and it's a duck and, and, and it's a witch and it floats and they're dead. Boom. There it is. And all right. So how, how old are these kids now? We'll pivot back. They to are the 10 stuff. and 13. Okay. Both of them are girls. They are as different as they come. One of them's like a very drama, unique, standout, don't care how many friends I have as long as I'm myself. And then the other one is like, very popular and you know social and bubbly and rides horses and it's awesome so what what part of that experience did it was 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 that a motivator for uh deep sentinel is that just or did that just happen at the same time how has all, all these conversations and your thoughtfulness and mindfulness and putting yourself in their position or trying to and viewing the world through their lens and all that important stuff how how like how has that really changed you yeah so i mean i love i'll tell you like the, here's the the punchline version of that because i have kids i really think about safety i want to protect them and that's true right to be completely like let's peel that onion back and show the dirty underwear underneath it <laughs> uh so my older daughter is the one who doesn't really care about other people's opinions very much right and if little babies only had one finger, hers would have been the middle finger, like the first shirt, right? It's just like, here I am and there you are and I'm done with you anyway. And so my wife and I went to parenting classes and in these parenting classes, we didn't go to the ones that, that your listeners probably went to, like where it's like, oh yeah, and you support your kids. No, we went to like the intervention. Here is how you control a child that is out of freaking control. And the the messages that we got we got two really big messages out of that. the first one is it's your fault not the kid's fault good to know they're probably right right um and and by the way parents like if you're listening that would be the one message i would share with you and i think most parents in kind of a middle america 
it's the school system, it's society, like it, it's you. Okay, so sorry, bad news on George's show today, it's you. So then the second message though, which is the one that's related to safety, is that the way to communicate with children is to create and control this environment of safety. Meaning that if you, if you let's, let's use the extreme example that I, I grew up with, if you beat the crap out of your kid, uh, which is what my parents did, just bam, 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 sure. bam, you are removing that sense of safety and you have a different way of communicating with them. And that certainly kind of gets something done, right? It creates a core memory. It's, it's very striking. You, you, you definitely kind of like recall it. And in today's day and age of parenting, what we learned was that that veil of safety still remains the most important thing you can uh, manage for your child. And, and, and in our choice, what we want to do is keep the child feeling safe but still penetrate into their core understanding. How do we stop them from continuing to do what they do? And spankings break that, continue doing what you're doing because the child doesn't feel safe. Now, if we want to have the child continue to feel safe, but then still break the behavior, what are some other mechanisms? And so the entire discussion was about how important is safety. And then, you know, because this is an intervention type parenting class, uh, it's called the Parent Project. And it was designed by a cop to intervene in kids that are going into like drugs and gangs, which is, thank goodness, not our situation. But we wanted to get kind of the hardcore view of this. The other thing that we learned was that in a lot of these families where the kids are generationally repeating incarceration, most of those parents don't want to repeat that generational pattern. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, they, they grew up in that and that'll just continue. I, I think that's just generally not true. Um, and police officers get experience with that. They, they, they pick up a kid that's starting out gang activity. They go to the house and they meet a former gang member that's the dad. And, and more often than not, you know, maybe the dad won't break down crying, but he'll say, hey, yeah, I mean, you're a cop. I hate cops. But if you know how to help me fix this, I'd. I'd at least listen because I don't want my kid to go down that path. And, you know, it breaks kind of societals. Let's put people in boxes and like judge them based on that box. But, but it's very, very true. And what that police officer learned and what this entire program is about is about both creating safety in those families where those families typically did not grow up learning how to create safety for their kids. And then at the same time, let's introduce really serious discipline. And it's a neat model. And uh, it's, a, it's a long answer to your question, but that's that actually became the seminal moment for our entire family to create these two things that in general in parenting, we think they're the opposites, right? You either take away the child's safety by spanking them and create discipline, or you, you kind of have the everybody gets a ribbon parenting model where there is no discipline and the, and the child feels super safe. And then they grow up and turn into you know, crappy kids in, in high school and college. But the ability to create both of those, uh, you know, what, what the, from a business perspective, what I look at that as, as doing is removing the false choice. You don't have to choose between discipline and safety. You can create both. And that really became, uh, for me and for our family, uh, a, a really watershed moment and became the foundation of, you know, my career and, and, and what we were building as a family in, the, in this next business. 
Nice. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it is possible for two things to be true at the same time, which I don't know that we've actually forgotten that as a society, but it certainly seems like maybe we have. It certainly feels that way. If, if you read anything about our society today, created by our society, you might reach the conclusion that you can't do that. Right. It is not possible. And I, I've got a soon to be six and three year old and it's all my fault. You know, there's very little that, that I'm glad you got the first doing. message. Yes. That, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all on me. This, this, this is a child that we are dealing with no matter how it is that they're acting. So I, I appreciate that. All right. So you, you go and you learn this, 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 this approach and now you've been practicing it for years. And so you feel like, it's it's been proven out. This this is the way to do it. Hell no! I mean, we're horrible parents, right? I mean, it's, but uh, it's I I feel like we have found a vehicle that that does a couple things. One, it brings my wife and I together, right? That we believe you can have discipline and safety together, and I think that's one of the most important things, right? Because if you have parents, whether you're divorced parents or you're you know a, a single family together having that conjoined view helps the child not feel confused. It, it also helps the child not play the system, uh, which again, if the child's playing the system, that's your fault, not the child's fault. That human beings are wired to do that. That is not their fault. They're, they're going to do that. Number two is that uh, I think it allows us to engage in a discussion that is addressable in almost all of these situations where how do we provide safety and how do we continue to, to intervene and, and stop any sort of kind of dangerous behavior. The final thing it did was because this is a program that's designed for kids that are like really far out there, right? Kids that are having first contact with police at the age of nine, they're doing drugs by the age of eight, they're selling drugs by the age of 11, um, which is again, for those of us that live in our, our nice suburban homes, you know, oh my gosh, that exists out there. You're like, yeah, that's, that's real. Right. That's very, very real. And those are the types of problems that I and we as a family are committed to learning about and be, being part of the solution for. And, uh, and and knowing where our kids sits on that spectrum prevents us from like freaking out over kind of the, the mid stuff. So like our older daughter got some bad grades this last year. And we just put it in the context of her life instead of in the context of like this is the end of the universe, which is the way I grew up, I grew up in a half Chinese, half Jewish family where an A minus was the equivalent of, I mean, I don't even know that we didn't even have language to describe A minuses in my household because you're dead by then because your parents have killed you. So, you know, yeah, that was disappointing, probably. Uh, no, failure. no, 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 no. Dis dis disappointing is an A um, <laughs> without commendation. Um, but, but no longer but my child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dead to me. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did, was there a David that lived here at some point? Could we have the mail redirected, please? We don't need that anymore. Do you see, as 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 we look at some of the things that that we're struggling with as as a society, if it's the homeless problem, homeless situation, whatever that language we're interested in using, how we police our communities, these the the, the approach that you've learned and have absolutely mastered as a parent, uh, do you see? that would transfer over to other problems? Oh man, for sure. Um, one of the framing books I have that I think about mm -hmm, is a book by Thomas Friedman, Thomas L. Friedman um, called Beirut to Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever read that. I have not. So the one of the core concepts that Thomas Friedman talks about <clears throat> is the, the 
in a negotiation, in any situation where you disagree with someone and you're trying to find common ground, that the largest predicting variable about whether you find any common ground is whether both participants enter the conversation believing that it is a zero-sum game or a non-zero-sum game. Mm. And Thomas Friedman's you know, basic thesis is that the way that the world has framed this Islamic versus Israel problem and, and the way that the West, you know, namely, I think, Britain and the way that they cut up the, the, the land uh, framed this as a zero-sum game sets it up so that no matter what we do, we're going to have trouble finding common ground. And the, the greatest agreements are framed when you're able to see something in the future that is better than today and that both parties can see something in the future that is better than today. And, you know, you, you made the, the kind of uh, offhand remark about, and I guess I, I, did, I did as well, that, that like it's, it's very common for us right now in the news to read about a non-zero-sum game situation, whether that's gun control versus school safety, whether that's, you know, the, the, the cost of gas, whether that's my political candidate versus your political candidate, um, the, the sense of safety uh, is so core and has been introduced into these conversations because the, oh man, I'm going to, I was about to say the media news outlets, like that's because human beings have an emotional response to something that makes them feel unsafe, which means they click or read it. And the, the journalists who are creating content and fighting against other journalists for our attention or in order to make money are creating content that makes us feel unsafe. And it addresses issues that make us feel unsafe. Um, and we are consuming that. We are choosing to consume that um, repetitively because it triggers these, you know, uh, reactions inside of our brain and in our, our bodies. And I... For, for me, and again, for our family, we have realized that for ourselves, we will go down that path. Like when my wife and I were initially dealing with these issues with our daughter, we were fighting like tooth and nail. The only thing we're going to leave on this planet is our daughters. And so if I don't get my way, it's going to be the worst child in the world. Well, let me tell you how those conversations went <laughs> super freaking well, right? And uh, by the time our attorneys got involved, you know, we were super happy with each other. But it, it, you just, you cannot find any common ground. But if you, if you actually really look at this, yes, my wife wanted to give our kids everything they wanted and didn't believe in, in any form of discipline. And yes, I believe that every form of discipline was an acceptable form of discipline. But we both had the same goal, which is to raise great kids. And we still have disagreements. I mean, we still go to the mat sometimes for sure. But we've found that if we can stay focused on this, this common goal where we both believe we can be do, doing better than today, and that if we're aligned in doing something better than today, our kids will benefit from that. Man, our conversations are, you know, certainly, again, still one out of 10, still kind of spiral out of control to a certain degree, but it's not nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. And so my, that's been my guiding principle. And again, it's, it's a, you know, Thomas Friedman's more of an economist in terms of the way he views these things, but man, if you can take that concept and apply that to your, your relationships with your neighbors, your relationships with your police department, your relationships with your community, your relationships with your neighbors, how, how far you can go. I had a conversation this morning, actually, with the <clears throat> A former SWAT officer, he's, he's working on the issue at Uvalde and he sits on one side of the political spectrum and I sit on the other. 
And I said, look, I'm going to ask you a question because I want to know what your answer is. Now, I, and it's going to be a political question. I'm going to ask you, what do you think that our politicians need to do to prevent Uvalde from happening? And I know that I disagree with you kind of at, at our high level politics, but I'm going to commit to you right now to listen to you and not challenge anything you say, because my goal in asking the question is not to prove you wrong. It's to understand what you have to say. And he proceeded then in a non-defensive fashion to spend 25 minutes of his time really explaining all of his views. And I am the better for it. And that to me, like, I loved that. I, I enjoyed that conversation so much. Um, whether I change my views or not, I'm not sure, but I am going to, I'm going to listen to everything he said, every question that he poised that's worth, uh, thinking about it. I owe him and I owe myself and I owe our society the time to think about it. Well, that's all really well said. Uh, it certainly makes a ton of sense to me that you have to have that common ground with the other person, the other human being that you're speaking with, um, particularly when you are on the opposite side of the best way to approach a problem or what your end desire is to be able to see that there is a better future for all parties involved if we can come together. <clears throat> so I guess the question is, Sally, when are you running for president of the United States? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean... Look, I, I aspire to that exactly zero. Let me just be really clear about that. I love spending time with my kids. I love spending. With, I, I do wish politicians had the time and energy to ask those questions. So I, I do you think that they don't? I know that they don't ask them in a way that they're willing to listen to the answer. Um, I volunteered for both uh, uh, Republican and Democratic candidates to try to understand what's going on. And, you know, my very personal observation is that they're both bound to their campaign finance mm. and both the left and the right. Right. Like you go to the left and they're, you know, you go to a fundraiser and sure enough, there are unions saying that we're going to create more union jobs. I don't really think we're going to create more union jobs. You know, sorry, like nothing against the unions, nothing against the Democrats. But like, I don't think that's good. You go to the uh, a right wing fundraiser and sure enough, there's the NRA. Right. And like they both have their checkbooks. They may not be open at the time, but they're certainly carrying them to remind whoever it is that's speaking that they're there and their checkbook is there with them. And, and it, you know, it's just very real. And so, um, you know, I think that's why folks like Bernie Sanders and, and Trump had such an appeal was that they, they were unwilling to be, you know, held to those um, financial standards. And I get it. You know, I mean, again, whether you're over here or over here, like I get it. I, I absolutely do. And, I wish somebody who uh, being kind of a more right-leaning person myself, um, who was less crazy than that particular individual could represent those same interests. That'd be sweet. I think we'd all benefit from it. Yeah. Where's the common ground with uh, Sandy, Dave? Wow. Um <laughs> You know, I think Sandy feels bad about what Sandy's done, right? I mean, do you? Most people that murder, I don't <laughs> know whether they admit it or not, they feel bad about it. And so, I think if I can help Sandy reconcile those issues in Sandy's last couple of seconds, <laughs> gasping for breath in a in a couple inches of soil, I think I think that'll be Sandy's positive moment. Yeah, I, I regret telling you the name of our fish, like because we don't. <laughs> 
me in that poor thing. It's it's a daily conversation we have too. Sandy's gonna get hit up on social media pretty I know, hard. We should, make a, we should make an Instagram page for Sandy. See, is today Sandy's last day? Just let the internet vote and decide Sandy's fate every single day. Wow, the internet's a bad place. Sandy wouldn't make it one day if we did. That. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's bring this thing home, Dave. We got to ask uh, people are ready for that difference making tip. What do you have for them? Gosh. Um... I had one when we started and I've completely lost. I'll be honest. Give me a second to, to, yeah. to think on this for a second. For sure. We covered a lot of ground. We did. We went, we went left and right when I wasn't <laughs> expecting to. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think back a lot. I, I went back and spoke at my high school a couple times. And I think back a lot at the decisions that we make in high school that kind of matter. Right. And <clears throat> the, the people that mattered to me the most in, in high school didn't necessarily give me kind of intellectual advice or help me become smarter. They, they, they did. They made me feel safe. They made me feel good about myself. Um, not because what I did necessarily was right, but that I needed to feel safe in order to digest. Let's say I got grounded or I got suspended for something, which I, you know, unfortunately did get, get both of those things a couple of times. But it was the people that helped me say, look, let's create a space where here you are and you have your whole future ahead of you. And this may be a bad moment, but let's work on that. Like, I'm not going to spend more time making you feel bad about what just happened. I'm not going to let you off the hook, but I'm, but I'm going to create a space where you can come. You know, I had a teacher, uh, his name's Marty Zatola. Come to my office, sit down, just chill. I'm not going to talk at you. I'm not going to berate you. I don't want to talk to you at all if you don't want to talk about it, but you can feel safe here for the next hour and a half. And then if you have something you want to say, I'm going to relate to you and I'm going to spend the time doing that. And, and Marty was my English teacher. It wasn't my morality teacher or anything like that, but he created that space for me. And I was a kid that was wrestling with a lot of issues. And so if you have an opportunity to work with a kid that is at these kind of formative moments that may or may not be your kid. I very much believe that it takes a village. And one of the things that I believe that we don't provide enough of for kids, we provide lots of opportunities to learn how to program. We provide opportunities how to get smarter at school. We don't provide a lot of opportunities for kids to, to have that, again, that combination of safety, but then reality and to vent and analyze how they can take these moments truly as learning moments. It's either punitive and that's your freaking learning moment, bam, right? Or it is, you know, here's your honorable mention ribbon, one of 5,000. And and to create that middle ground is just, I think, so incredibly powerful. And I, I still talk to my high school English teacher, Marty Zatola, because of that. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? And where can they learn more about Deep Sentinel? George, thanks for having me on. I didn't talk about Deep Sentinel at all, but if you want to learn about Deep Sentinel, we're a camera company that prevents crime. You can learn about that on YouTube. Go to our, our YouTube channel called uh, Deep Sentinel on YouTube. If you want to learn about me, I post you know, personal thoughts and business comments and, and things like that. Uh, the best place to do that is on LinkedIn. And uh, it's Dave Selinger. And uh, on LinkedIn, you can follow me. And I post something about once every week or so. 
Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Dave your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Follow Deep Sentinel on their YouTube channel. I'll link that in the notes. And then follow Dave on LinkedIn. And his name is uh, Dave, S-E-L-I-N-G-E-R. Thanks again, Dave. George, it was awesome. Thank you much, sir. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.